Welcome to Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, All He Surveys, Volume 1, Chapter 12. I expected a strong, impersonal grip, or a limp, indifferent one, but she was nothing but politeness. I followed suit. This wasn't where it should happen. This was courtesy, perhaps a rare one to extend under the circumstances, but I'd never done this before, and honestly, she was so lovely, I was suddenly happy to be there for my own sake. She was shorter than I, though in heels only by a few centimeters. It gave the impression of being on my level, until she was very close. The music was soft in the background, romantic, wonderful. I was not aware that a member of the ever-commendable Vernay's family was on station. What a happy surprise! She had no discernible accent to my ears. She sounded like I did, which seemed impossible. She was a woman of the impossible. A spacer's tone. I worked for a living. I flew everywhere and nowhere. She did the same, I realized, but to different places, and for very different reasons. Her mouth was small and round and utterly charming curled into an enchanting rosebud smile. I couldn't help but grin. Yes, I came in on Dorcas of the Heather. I kept smiling. Her eyes shadowed a bit, but that flower never uncurled. How fortunate for you that you debarked. What a tragedy. All those lives. All those lives, I echoed, unmoving. But it was apparent now. I think to both of us. She lifted her head back and creased her brows in confusion and concentration. We haven't met, have we? No, my lady, we have not. My smile may have been the most unaffected I'd produced in years. I noticed a subtle head nod then, to one side, of like and character to those that I myself used, to open screens on my retinal displays. She was looking something up, probably me, based on my name and facial profile. A woman of her status and power could go deep into the background of a man of mine and mine. But that wouldn't be automatic or instant. I still had time. You are the one they call Estaron? She parted with at last after her eyes turned up to mine. She looked surprised. I've heard of a great warrior allied with your family. I apologize, I, I don't normally indulge in gossip, but the stories are rampant. They're just stories, I dismissed, then cocked an ear at the music, 
because it had segued into an orchestral version of a popular tune I knew, one that the great Haley Gardette had scored a hit with many years before. I sang a snatch of the opening refrain, badly out of key, and Lady Trissal giggled, I think involuntarily. Accept my apologies for arriving uninvited, my lady, and I deeply regret that I can't stay very long. Really, I'm only here to ask a favor. Uh, make that too. Oh? Then I see that subtlety is not of value tonight. What can I do for an honored member of such an illustrious family? The first request? A dance, of course, I replied, scooping her up and swaying to one side all in one motion. She squealed despite herself, then laughed. It sounded like bells. I'm little more than a pretender, but I happen to know this tune, and you are too close and too bewitching to ignore. She smiled with the kind of charm that could only be described as wicked and captivating. She was the most beautiful woman I'd ever held in my arms, and the most repulsive. Superb in the sense of inspiring emotion and fantasy. Ugly in the sense of, well everything else. Her paper-trained guests buzzed in a harsh susurrus of shock, amusement, and wonder. My face was being matched up by devices and implants, networked with station data exchanges and the private directories of nobles. Bit by bit, there were oohs and ahs as a name, association, and much-gossiped-over reputation came to the fore. Their powerful, elegant hostess, who was, ostensibly, throwing herself a goodbye party, because she would be leaving soon, or so I'd learned from Yali at the Bearson Arms, and had confirmed by that self-satisfied manager at the Vernay's office. She was dancing with the legendary Estaron. Could he really be this fat, pushy little clod? Wasn't he a murderer? A mercenary? A pirate? Familiancano wasn't anywhere near, say, a baronet or Felderson, the lowest ranks that had the right to extort a dance from a woman such as her ladyship. Yet here he was, lording it, demanding it, taking what was not his own. Barbarian beast! Someone call for security and have him shot, or at least removed. She could dance, flowing like silk caressing the water. That made one of us. You are hopeless, Lady Trissal laughed, pushing me back on my heels and taking the lead, because, of course, I was, and she already had. Ah, but my timing is legendary, I exclaimed, sincerely, pressingly. This kept her smile chained in place, and following her moves as we stepped this way and that, swaying to a cover version of a popular tune forced into a thin, watery shade of itself for an underpopulated string section. I witnessed her curiosity and her focus. Oh, the woman was good at this. The slight nods, the barely perceptible head gestures, the vague hand waves and nearly invisible finger wiggles, all while holding me, charming me, leading me. She was trying for a deep background check, even as we flirted and danced. 
As a scrubber in that sewage treatment plant before the Dorcas gig had come through, I was smeared with filth up to the armpits on a daily basis. Now I was here, in this clean, elegant place, holding a bona fide woman of quality in both hands, intriguing her, challenging her, and generating choice entertainment for chattering monkeys. I could have danced with her for days. The kitchen, Lady Trissal exclaimed, pulling back in my arms just enough to settle surprised eyes on my face. It gets better, I promised. Keep digging. She did, and we danced for at least a minute longer, my cheek to hers, my right hand at the small of her back, and indeed it was so small and perfect. Then she saw it, my position in corporate space, the timing of it. She had sat on the board of directors and would have had access to the kind of information about that incident which would have made a man like Eli Marzian envious. Or maybe her reach wasn't so far-flung just yet. Maybe she'd learned of my oppositional connections to Deskue, the man who was her personal friend and probably more. Either way, she saw something revealing about me, and I saw her see it, when the delight in those dark eyes turned to craft. There you go, I breathed into her ear. Now we're on the same page. You certainly keep busy, she observed forcefully. A flash of fire. Maybe she hadn't fared so well in the Montero situation. Idle hands and all that. She laughed, but not really. I can see that you're of that most exotic and insufferable breed, Mr. DeSantos, she returned, after another snap of the head to look me in the face. The egotist who really is as good as he thinks. I shouldn't imagine it wins much affection. And you'd be right, I assured, watching her beautiful practice smile. God, it was all I could do not to kiss her. Which only makes this easier. Now that you know who I am, my second request shouldn't shock you. But I'm counting on it, she bubbled, the anger now controlled, and that quickly. She was back to enjoying the moment, tasting it like candy. Her power of self-possession was exhilarating. Lady Trisal, I... Piani, please. We've so much in common. Truly we do. I feel I know you. Oh, you really don't. But, yes, please do call me Ejok. Are we friends now? I truly hope so. My dear Piani, my second request, then? Change your current plans. The ones in motion right now, whatever they are. Find another way to achieve your goals. She opened her eyes widely in mock surprise. And in exchange, I get... Nothing, I promised. Do that for me, and I will do nothing. She affected consideration. If I discard the labor of years, right at the very brink of fruition, you will continue to be just as unknown and ineffectual as before? That's a peculiar offer, Ejok, and, if I may say, speaking 
plainly as we are, rather disappointing. She didn't look disappointed. Certainly I wasn't. I nodded at the toadies and hangers-on. They were walking on their hands, holding lit torches with their toes, hoping against hope to be noticed and included in whatever schemes she had in play. Because there was something in play. Lady Tressal was of the moment, of every moment. They were drawn to her like bugs to a lamp. I'm not here to see the show, Piani. You're putting one on, Nijok, and I'm holding fast to each word. You may rely upon it. Her smile was genuine, though not kind. That close up I could see it for what it was, holding back hilarity. You doubt me? Well, I would too in your place. I stopped short, meaning to go on, to say more, and to say it more emphatically, but of a sudden I found myself winded. I couldn't really dance, after all, so we weren't doing much more than swaying to the music. But the song I knew had ended at some point, and a fast one had come on, and we'd both begun swaying more rapidly without noticing. Standing still now, a touch, a flash of the panic from the street slapped out, and breath eluded me. It lasted just a few seconds, rising and fading, but whether caused by exhaustion, nerves, or the woman's presence, it was clear on my face and noticed. Piani displayed happy confusion, as if wondering what new game this implied. Ejak, are you quite well? I'm... yes. It's an old wound. Flares up sometimes, more so of late. My apologies. I took up her hand again, but my dancing was at an end, and I thought hers should be as well. Piani, my lady, I don't plead very often or very well, but I'm doing it now. Please, allow me to stand by. I am begging you to let me be a stone, insensible, stupid, immobile. As opposed to... As opposed to a man who takes an interest in your ambitions. Emotions wavering, my tone had nonetheless become devoid of banter. I infected her gaze, pinning, spiking her to me and this moment. Her amusement and confusion were gone. Favorite toys back in the box. The smile held as if painted on, but its twin, which had flashed from deep inside those dark, magnetic eyes as we circled the dance floor and each other, was fully swallowed by suspicion and caution. Two old, reliable friends of adventurous Piani Tresal, without any doubt. That was good. It made me feel good. Unfettered. I think I see, she replied slowly, and with what I took to be sincerity. I truly regret that I can't oblige you in your wish, Ejok. But I'm grateful for this piece of clarity. Perhaps you'll find you were mistaken to be so forthcoming. Oh, there's a mistake being made, I assured. But I've asked what I've asked, and you've answered. 
I'll take up no more of your time tonight. I chuckled then because it wasn't funny as much as absurd. <laughs> Good evening, Lady Trisal. Uh, sorry, Piani. Good evening, Ejak. I look forward to our next encounter. You shouldn't. I smiled warningly while stepping back with my hand outstretched, holding hers until the very, very last moment. I kissed those fingers, nails painted with animated polish that held muted colors, matching the dress and the toes, swirling through patterns of silver. That is to say, nanopigments that could stand in for capacitors, allowing the paint itself to hold a charge. She could have potentially killed me in that moment, her defensive polish capable of directing current through my lips and into my brain. I saw it in her eyes. I saw the possibility of nipping a small but growing problem in the bud. I saw her wrestling with all the flattery and a good opening round of the game, whatever the game was by her definition. She could have killed me and didn't. As a swaying boar, incapable of being led on the dance floor or anywhere else, I had ended our movement right near a richly draped table. Really, I'd almost bumped us into it. A bland serving girl in a monochrome uniform stood behind it. On the table, a long silver cheese knife stuck straight upward from a creamy, roundish block like a poor man's Excalibur. The young server was just then laying out crusted bread wedges from a rolling cart at her side, head turned away. I half-stepped closer to the table, not even thinking why until the impulse to snatch at the knife made my arm twitch. But I held it to my side with a will. Piani continued living, and we were square. Still with a frozen smile, her eyes flicked over from the table to match my own. They were hooded. I left then, stepping away quickly in my new shoes, through the tropical foyer, or whatever, past the maitre d' and her helpers, all of whom wished me a good night as I dashed by. Piani had people waiting. I knew they'd be on me, but their promptness was impressive. A group of tall men and women in a black roller that was parked right at the curb. They were out and approaching the very moment I stepped past Pretty Boy, the two closest of them reaching under their jacket lapels. Famo dos Santos, said a different large man who'd been standing off to the side, right by the doorway. We're from Josefina. He wasn't with the van people, and he wasn't alone. A small countering group, all wearing the uniform of a commercial ship docked up on the hub. These others were stepping along the sidewalk as if just walking by, then halted in front of those exiting the van. The newcomers locked arms, blocking the way. This was an aggressive move, and it made the two who'd been reaching continue to, which turned out to be a mistake. The pair of security bots hovering by the door both emitted crackling, snapping noises, and the men in front fell in their tracks, dropping pistols, stunned to instant unconsciousness. 
Oh, my God, Mr. Beautiful gasped with porthole eyes, then disappeared inside. The bots moved toward the rest of Lady Trissal's employees, who backpedaled in what would have been an uproarious manner, except that I was suddenly being half-dragged in the opposite direction. A taxi stand was down the block, and three automated cabs with holographic, out-of-service signs glowing above sat in a row. Another spacer in the same uniform posted near them directed us anxiously over as the doors to the cabs opened. Middle car, the man pulling at me directed. Behind us, there was another crackle, followed by the pulsed klaxon of a car's security alarm. When we reached the cab, I took half a second to glance backward. The drones were now hovering over the roller van, which was shrieking and flashing, having just been attacked and disabled by energy blasts. Then I was inside. People had me wedged left and right, and we were moving. I'm second mate, Ezezaro Moya, said the man, this time from the front seat, having half turned to face me. He had a light but definite low-speak accent. I saw a shock of unnaturally bright blonde hair above round features seemingly sculpted from onyx. His skin was shining with a mist of perspiration from the excitement and exertion. Across his forehead, he wore a religious halkol, a simple headband that was a kind of religious symbol among certain modern factions of Islam. His eyes were frank and shining crystals in pearly white, definitely artificial or augmented. He might have been my age, or a little less, but was thin and had the wiry energy of a teenager. When did you arrive? Josefina docked not one hour ago. Was our timing to your liking, Famo de Santos? <laughs> in every way, I admitted, matching his grin. It was infectious. The others started gabbling and laughing in low speak, and the cab was moving much faster than was usual. Hacking the drones was a nice touch. Our tech officer's idea. Those were made by a Vernay's manufacturing subsidiary. Uh, backdoor programming for family security issues is standard procedure. We just sent them updates regarding your identity and the danger you were in. They're leased by the restaurant, not purchased. With the signed user agreement, reprogramming them by reps of the family is entirely legal. But please, was that actually as it appeared to be, Famo? Were you in mortal danger? Probably, yeah. They work for Piani Trasal. Friend of the family? She's a powerful noblewoman and a murderer, so I'd say not. That made the chatter fade instantly, and the second mate whistled, his eyes going wide. No time to stop for a drink, then. He turned back around to face the front and began muttering into the collar mic of his uniform. It went on for a long while, with the others now looking out the car windows nervously. It had been a stupid thing to bait Piani like that. It was careless, but she'd been careless, too. A man she didn't know had held her in his arms, a man she now understood to be her enemy. She'd been vulnerable in that moment. She'd gone from feeling victorious and powerful to being concerned for her plans and personal safety. Not a bad start, actually. Still in all, she was intelligent. 
I'd known it from public records and from hearsay, but I hadn't expected her to be so very quick on the uptake. Charismatic, insightful, sexy, dangerous, and seething with influence. She'd been playing in this arena far longer than I, and now she realized that I intended to be a problem. She could have had me seized and escorted right off the dance floor with just a mutter into an implanted microphone. It didn't happen in the low, dark lobby of the restaurant either, so I could only conclude that she had at least been surprised by the encounter, and yet again by my having called in help from a Bernays merchant ship. Josefina had received a priority request the day before from a titled member of the family to reroute to Amico Tenda star system. Life and death stuff. When I'd sent the missive, I thought I was using hyperbole to get their attention, not necessarily the truth. The good lady's surprise wouldn't last long, and she wouldn't let it happen again, not like that. We rode down a main thoroughfare, no one speaking, and only Ezazaro talking quietly to the other cabs and to the ship up at the hub. As we came to one of the elevator plazas, he turned back to address me. Captain Diempia is waiting to hear from us before finalizing undocking procedures. Josefina is being prepped for immediate departure. If we need to leave quickly, we can push off without running through the pre-flight. Engines are still at idle. I need to make a stop first, I informed him. Famo, I don't believe we have the time. If this Lady Trasal was willing to kidnap you right off the street like that, then she must have the endorsement of one or more of the nobles who own this station. She might even be one of them. That puts the authorities here on her side. Understood, Mr. Moya, but we have to risk it. I then called up the address of a certain hotel on my retinals and pushed it to the taxi's AI as a destination override. All three cabs had just been slowing as we approached the elevators. Instead of stopping like the other two, ours in the middle picked up speed once again and continued on across the open plaza. Tell them to stay here and be visible. Piani's goons may think that they're waiting for us and they'll wait here too. We'll go up by another lift bank when we're ready. We have our orders, the second mate complained, but was already manipulating his collar to relay the update. Now you have new ones. Hold on. And then I muttered a quick note, sotto voce, which my rig translated into a coded message and then sent it off to the address specified. There was a delay of only a few seconds before a terse acknowledgement came back as text scrolling silently across my eyes. Fama, where are we going? What cab company is this? I spoke up, looking around. The second officer grunted in the front seat, realizing he was dealing with another willful nobleman. I didn't mean to be, but I didn't mean to fail either. One of the two spacers at my side pointed to a license patch and set into the roof. It showed the name De Ura on it, in cheesy calligraphy. I then called up a list of transport companies from the station directory, which, like the note, scrolled across my eye view. There were quite a few taxi services, and I chose the first one on the list that was not De Ura cabs. I ordered two of them for 15 minutes hence, at the address where we were heading. 
That was nearly 20 kilometers to starboard on the station cylinder, but we were making good time. Our cab merged onto one of the central highways of Giuliano Colony, and then it sped up even more. This thoroughfare ran the entire length and circumference of the station, spiraling along the inside of its tube shape. The spacer sitting to my left was looking out the back window as we cleared our on-ramp and pulled into the fast lane. She said something in low speak that I couldn't catch, but the tone of voice made it obvious. We're being followed, second Moya said. Three of them moving up on the left. I'd turned to look myself, and a trio of roller vans, identical to the one the bots had disabled, were approaching way too fast to be legal, implying they were under human control. That was something we did not have ourselves, the cab being entirely devoid of physical controls or even an interface for human piloting. As I watched, the passenger window on the leading van rolled down. Suddenly, the cab began to move off to the easement on the side of the highway, and a sign flashed across the dash display. Ezazaro cursed. Traffic override, he translated. They got the transit authority to flag us. The cab is going to stop. This is gonna hurt, I muttered, because I was all out of ideas. Maybe they had followed us from the elevator bank, but more likely... They had access to the station's internal sensors. If so, this taxi now had some sort of tracking program watching it. There wasn't anywhere we could go in it that they wouldn't know about. Maybe not, the second officer offered, a creative grin crossing his face. In low speak, he shouted, Cab, emergency, take us to the nearest medical center right now. We'd been only a hundred meters from the nearest exit which was two lanes to the right. Our cab braked completely, tires squealing suddenly, and the three vans screamed by. I had the flickering impression of someone holding something that looked long and lethal, but they were past us in an instant, even as our cab threw on flashing external lights. Declaring a medical emergency inside an automated vehicle turned that vehicle into an ambulance. We were all thrown to one side as the cab switched lanes and then ducked down the exit. It was now running to the nearest medical facility and no traffic override could stop it. It was sending out emergency priority signals to all the robotic vehicles ahead and they were all dutifully and automatically pulling right over to let us by. Of course, making a fraudulent emergency claim was a serious crime, but that was better than being shot on the road. They don't have station police on us yet, Second Moya commented. Transit might be the limit of their influence. It's definitely not, I clarified. But there's bound to be some confusion right now. Then to the taxi I said, Car, how long until we get to the hospital? There was a chime, and then the machine answered in a generic sort of synthetic voice in English, since I had addressed it in that language. Two minutes until we arrive at the emergency room entrance of Radican Medico Center on Greeley Avenue. Personnel are standing by. I made another call to the second cab company's AI and changed our meetup point to that of the med center. Switch vehicles as soon as we arrive, I said to the others after ringing off. This should buy us a few minutes. We'll need them. 
The second mate was about to inquire further, but we came up on the hospital just then. A cluster of people were waiting with an akame being used in this case as a modular stretcher. The medicos all dashed to the open cab doors, blaring questions, but we barreled right past them. This way, I shouted, because two yellow and purple autocabs were rolling in from the opposite direction. Ezazaro and I jumped into one, and I pointed at the other for the rest of them to squeeze into, all while instructing the cars, via my retinals, to queue up a new destination. A medico-technician of some sort, a burly guy with a short beard, shouted a crude epithet at us in low-speak, which expressed his doubts about the contents of our skulls. He's not wrong, Famo, the second mate put in. I believe he was speaking in the plural. We were ordered to help, but this is making it much harder. I won't argue that, but this has to happen. Lives depend on it, including ours now. It's okay to be angry, but stay focused. He didn't reply to me, but did speak into his collar. Anything? I asked after a bit. No trouble yet, but more of those black vans are parked in the plaza waiting for us. They might have them at all the elevators. I was about to answer when a call of my own came in. It was from Colonel Eli Marzian, under his policeman's ident. What are you up to now? he demanded crossly, by way of a greeting, looking unkempt in my eye view in that careful way of his. Not much. Should I be? I told you not to do this, Ejok. I told you. Has she put the PD onto us? Not yet. You're technically a nobleman. An order like that has to come down through the Muradan's office. You can assume she's talking to him right now. I need an hour. We'll be off station by then. Off station, the man demanded, surprised. How, and who is we? Tell me what you're doing, Ejok, or I'll have to stop you. Don't you threaten me, Eli, I shouted, almost blind with instant fury. The nerve of these people, of all these back-alley tinkerers of the body politic. They had their plans, goals, affiliations, and budgets. They shaped the galaxy, and woe betide anyone who disagreed. What I'm doing doesn't involve your office, but it can, and in ways you won't like, so stay out of it. Heaving in anger, I cut the call on his gnarled expression. I'd been waving my finger in the air, stabbing at a man that only I could see. He called back immediately, so I blocked the number. Spies probably had ways around that, and I had ways around such ways. We could seesaw all night. It didn't come to it, though, because he took the hint. I closed my eyes and tried to calm my breathing, and it was not easy. In, out. In, out. When I looked again, Ezazaro was watching me critically. I guess he realized, somehow that there was indeed more going on here than the idle whims of some rich nobleman. I almost barked a laugh when that thought came. <laughs> rich! He likely had more hard credit handy on a spacer's pay than I did right now. Was it the family title fooling him? Or maybe this expensive suit? I'd only needed it for a few minutes, and it could be argued, even by me, that those minutes had been bungled. 
Go ahead, I told the officer with a nod, because he had something on the tip of his tongue, and it wanted out. Oh, no, not a word, Famo. Right, later then. I'll listen to anything you have to say when we're on the ship. Captain D'Empia will do the talking, not me. I just raised my hands in disgust. The way I was going about things was probably wrong. Everyone seemed to think so. Doing it, though, that was right, even if I was alone in that conviction. Within a few minutes, we were pulling up in front of a blockhouse-style apartment complex. It was a clean place, if not exactly affluent. I could tell it was a predominantly Muslim neighborhood, based on the traditional clothing styles of the people walking by, and a miniature mosque on the corner with stunted minarets barely ten meters tall. Saying Muslim was hardly descriptive, of course, but Arabic adorned posters, placards, shop windows, and hologram adverts acting as billboards floating over the road. There was also decorative street art, some of it overtly religious, some simply abstract. A big fellow stood in front of the place, wearing a long gray dishdasha, resembling a light shirt going all the way to his sandaled feet. On his head was a shallow, mauve, fez-like cap of modern form called a banya. Lots of men on this block were wearing them. I didn't recognize his clothing, but I knew the man. Join your people in the other car and follow close, I ordered the second mate. He spotted the man, too, and saw that he was watching us expectantly. Moya didn't comment and didn't give me a sardonic glance, since this was now getting interesting. He got out, leaving the doors open. His fellows in the other cab also started exiting, but the second mate waved them back in. It was going to be a tight squeeze for them, for all of us. We need to move right now, I told the waiting man. He nodded and turned back to the front of the building without a word. A few idle pedestrians stopped to watch this game of musical cars. In a moment, he returned with several figures, each heavily draped in colorful robes. I held the door and they piled in. The shortest was a young child, whom I lifted up onto the running board, where she was scooped up by those inside. The man pushed in behind them, picking up the girl and sitting her on his lap. Famo! Ezezaro called, leaning out from the other cab. Let's go, I confirmed, and got in the front. In moments, we were back in traffic. The tallest of the shrouded figures had not been tall at all, and removed the hood then. Thank you, Mr. De Santos, she offered sincerely, but with a thin nervousness within both her voice and her wide brown eyes. Thank me later, Kamatosa. I warned the woman. We're a long way from safe just yet.
You have been listening to All He Surveys, Volume 1, a Star Drifter novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. This story is copyright 2022 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The All He Surveys theme is a piece called Blossom by Edward Maloff and is licensed through TribeOfNoise.com. This story is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead nor any particular place or situation. Any similarities to such are purely coincidental. You can contact me at LostInBronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site, davidcollinsrivera.com, where you'll find everything Star Drifter, including more audio novels and stories, the Star Drifter tabletop role-playing game, podcasts, newsletters, and more. Stop by, won't you, and drop me a line. Thank you for listening. Take care.